So I think we have to have a very intentional approach to understand what outcome do we want to have for ourselves. Mm. And you have to start with yourself. Before you start building anything for anyone else, make sure that you're in the position that you can be a good builder. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be having another fantastic conversation. I've got a brilliant guest. He is the CEO of Beacon Media, but this man has been involved in a lot of different businesses. He's got a lot of insights in all aspects of life. And this is my friend, Manoj Narender Madnani. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Zuby. I want to thank you for the gift of your time, the gift of your presence, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Awesome. Manoj, I know you, but for the listeners who are unfamiliar, please introduce yourself. So I always, well, I, I always start answering this question by focusing on the philosophy that I function on in life, which is 1 plus 1 equals 11 which is that everything I do has to have an exponential impact for my partner, whether it's a private partner, family relationship, commercial relationship. It's always about creating a much larger pie and an exponential impact for both of us or all of us. So I have a very simple view in life, which is I will never eat my food looking at someone else's plate. It's how do we create a larger plate together and whether that's in a family, personal business, corporate setting. Um, we all play a lot of roles. We are, I first came into the world as not only a child of God, but someone's son. And then from that brother, cousin, husband, father, grandchild, I mean, we each play so many roles. And if, if we start thinking about the various roles that we play, I think there's a lot of things out there that we need to be very grateful for and we need to also understand how we can really make that happen. As you said correctly, I've spent a lot of my time in some very interesting fields. Um, you know, I, I, I take a step back and say the world is currently at 8 billion people, six basic human needs, so energy, food, water, infrastructure, healthcare, education. These are the six needs that I want to focus on. And I've almost covered each of these needs commercially, mm. all right? Media falls into the infrastructure bracket. And I'm really mesmerized by how impactful media has been on me, my entire life journey. It's actually set in stone some of the industries and geographies that I've actually lived in. And I'm really happy today to be in a environment that I can start making one plus one equal 11 happen with independent content creators and talent globally. Awesome. What I'd like to do is hit the rewind button and go way back into your background. So tell me a little bit about young Manoj. Where, where did you grow up and what were you like as a child? Young Manoj was born in Hong Kong, 
to uh, my parents or Cindy were Cindy's. We came from a state that during the partition of India is now in Pakistan. Mm. Entrepreneurial. My father moved to Hong Kong at a very young age and I was born there. My father was a trader. My mom, phenomenal housewife, took care of us and instilled in us a, a strong set of family values. Um, young Manoj had a really bad stutter. Mm. Young Manoj could not speak well. And I was ostracized for not being able to speak. And so much so that people would be, people would not want me to be part of any social group mm. because if I was even part of any team, whether it was a sports team, sports was not a strong passion. So I was one of the lazy guys. I used to love reading mystery. I loved understanding things. And I was fascinated by people and culture and politics. And I was always trying to understand how cross-cultural pollination worked. And our dinner table at home was always, we always had guests over from everywhere. You name the country, Nigeria, Ghana, Saudi Arabia, the UAE. So growing up as a child, we always had a lot of the guests. Mm -hmm. And understanding cultural transition was amazing. At the age of 10, I was sent to school in Switzerland. Very grateful for that a school called Eglon College. And the first job I got I was in charge of waking up our house. Our house was called Belvedere. 60 students in the house. And my job was to open everyone's door in the morning, was to open the door and say, wake up. And the job was supposed to start at 7 and finish by 7.10. Because we had meditation in the morning at 8 a.m. Mm. Because of my stutter, which comes out from time to time, it took me almost 25 to 30 minutes to finish the house. So our house was constantly running late. And sure, I was teased about it for a lot. But what was interesting was there was an interesting teacher, God bless his soul, Professor Sven Larsen, who pulled me aside. And this was when I was 15. So, And he said to me, um, Noj, <clears throat> I'm going to help you learn how to use your voice and you have a powerful voice and I was like I can't even speak what is this man saying to me and he said I'm gonna give you he said I'm gonna actually enter you into the St. Andrew's Cup reading competition and I mm. looked at him and I said so he wants to make me fail even more and have me even more socially inept I mean I was nobody wanted me on any speaking arrangement or project team because I couldn't get I couldn't get the words out mm -hmm. Professor Larson came up with this beautiful piece about somebody who had a stutter, helped me train, helped me learn to breathe properly. <clears throat> and subsequently, I'll never forget that, I won the St. Andrew's Cup reading competition. I got a standing ovation from, the, from 265 students. That was a pivotal point in my life because that changed my entire view on putting my mind to something and activating when, honestly, I thought, I thought I was nothing. Mm. And it took one man to have faith in me. And he came to me and he said, listen, I'm going to help you take your voice globally. And I will never forget what he said to me. And at times I think about it and I thank him. Mm. And he was a wonderful man. So that's who I was.
That's so interesting. That's so powerful. You know, I think that teachers in general underestimate how much impact positively or negatively they can have on someone, not just as a child, but through their entire life. Any adult, whether they're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, they can all name specific teachers (laughs) that they had when they were children or teenagers who either, it tends to be one of the extremes, either they told them they're not going to amount to anything and all of this, and then they developed this chip on their shoulder and they went out and became successful because they remember Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so told them they couldn't do it, or, and or, they have a teacher or a couple people who were just so pivotal, who just gave them a little bit of encouragement, some guidance, some encouragement, and that just helped to set them on a different trajectory in terms of their self-esteem and self-belief and so on. And I think that when those moments happen, I think I'd imagine teachers, I mean, they go through so many students that I think they probably don't think that much of how much of an impact they're really having. They're just thinking, okay, it's just a semester, whatever, a new batch of kids coming through. But sure. I think it's so impactful that when I asked you that que- very open-ended question, what were you like as a child? And you remember this one individual. What did you say his name was? Professor Sven Larsen. Sven Larsen. Swedish? Sven. Or? He was English. Okay. He was English. He passed away many years ago. But yeah, just a great man. I, 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 I mentioned his name and I just smiled because yeah. – I remember he just had such faith in me and he pushed me and he said, um, so in school, in high school or in school, my name was Narender. Mm -hmm. That was my, that is my first name, but I go by Manoj Narender Madani. So, and I'll never forget that. And then transitioning from secondary school, I went to college in the States and it was interesting going to the U.S., Coming from a very, I was I came from a conservative family mm-hmm. in Hong Kong, Indian, and having gone to school in Switzerland, a British uh, boarding school, fifty five nationalities, two hundred fifty students, phenomenal experience where you 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 literally learn to appreciate everyone's culture, mm-hmm. and you learn to appreciate everyone's uh, differences, and you actually respected everyone. All yeah. right, and that was very powerful. And then going to college in the states, I enjoyed the experience thoroughly probably too much and three professors stick out to me there one is professor kishore chakrabarti from my policy class because he taught me the art of being a cog in each wheel and policy was a combination of finance marketing operations and you would play a role in each of those roles and you you would get a case study so from a very young age i always enjoyed looking at complicated situations and beginning with the end in mind and reverse engineering the process to arrive at the desired outcome. So that's been very much the approach in whatever I'm doing commercially. Then I had a phenomenal professor who I actually saw recently in Zurich, Professor Jean-Pierre Jeunet, who was an international marketing professor. And another great pivot, which I'll, or a great story with him, which I'll share. And then I had Professor John Martinson, who failed me in college. Mm. And actually, I was not able to walk during graduation. I had to stay for summer school. And uh, he said to me, listen, I'm sorry, buddy, but this is going to be the best thing I ever do for you. And 
I saw him 10 or 15 years later with my wife, Anju, at a Babson College event in London. And I didn't know how I was going to see. When I saw him, I just gave him a big hug and I said, thank you. <laughs> and um, I subsequently joined Babson College's board of trustees. And I walked, I finally was able to walk to graduation as a trustee. Yeah. And I started crying. I was like, wow, I actually was not able to do it as a student. But I think these are the these are the learnings, and you're absolutely right. Apart from my academic teachers, I've been very blessed to have grown up with the likes of Swami Chinmayananda, Deepak Chopra, um, Swami Swarupananda, Tejamayananda. I follow Robin Sharma. I like Satguru a lot. I, and it's it's about being inclusive versus exclusive mm. even tony robbins there there's a lot of things to pick up that are good from everyone i look at the people today that are changing the world people like a scott galloway mm -hmm. like an elon musk like a peter dia amandas like yourself zuby you you are allowing people to see things which i think people in the past were not open to even talking about. Mm. But I always say that you can talk about everything. It's never what you say, it's how you say it, right? Yeah. And that's where I think your superpower comes through. And I I was highly impressed when I saw your Pierce Morgan interview recently. No, thank you. And I, I said on your, I, I, I X'd it or tweeted it, whatever <laughs> you want to call it. I said, you were as cool as a cucumber. And I have to tell you that, you know, that's a superpower. Mm. So good on you for that. Well, thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. I mean, I think one thing that made us connect, we, we connected through um, Wasim, who works sure. with you. Wasim actually just messaged, he saw that I was in Dubai. He sent me a random DM on uh, X asking me if I wanted to go to the gym with him. So he, I invited him to my gym. We'd never met before. We had a training session and then we got connected. And I, I found that, in my relatively short life, there have been a few things which I've learned from everyone, from you know, my parents, my friends, my upbringing, lots of people, my own experiences. But the, the way that I personally just navigate things is just, I think I have two things that work well, just maybe in terms of the way I'm wired, which is maybe three. One is that I'm just naturally calm and very even tempered, but I genuinely love humanity. I really, really love people, and I don't think that there's anything more interested, more interesting than human beings. I, fit, I think the world and the environment in fa is fascinating, space and technology and all of that. I think human beings themselves are more interesting than any of it. So I love people. I find them super interesting. And then just overall, I'm just genuinely intellectually curious and curious about people. It's why I actually love doing these type, types of podcasts, because every single interview I do Every time I sit down, I learn something new. I learn something new about the person I'm talking to. I learn something new about human beings. I learn something new about uh, business, something new about the world. And the more people you talk to and interact with and just break bread with, there's just so much opportunity to learn. And I think that a lot of people, both historically and currently, sort of artificially limit themselves. They, so, they sort of handicap themselves by being a bit close by being too closed off to that. I don't know mm -hmm. if it's fear, perhaps fear of the unknown 
or fear of having a viewpoint challenged or a belief system challenged or a bias challenged or anything like that. But with me, I don't know, I guess I'm able to detach. Of course, I have some strongly held beliefs, but I'm able to sort of separate myself from the thoughts and ideas that are in my mind and just be open and curious and willing for people to, I can challenge other people, they can challenge me, they can question this, whatever the thing is. And you just have those free flowing conversations. And as you said, there's 8 billion people in the world. And I always say we, at a minimum, we at least need to be able to get on with each other. Absolutely. And I think one thing that's very, very clear, right? So my co-founder at Beacon Media is Dr. Deepak Chopra, who's, Mm -hmm. he wants to build a peaceful, just, and sustainable world and reach a billion people with his, uh, with his messaging of peace and humanity getting along. Mm. All right. I think we have enough, if I look at our cultures and I talk about our historic cultures, if I look at my parents' cultures, your parents' cultures, we both come from a very tribal place of the world Mm -hmm. where, where tribes play a strong role. Yes. But it's about respecting the differences, all right, and appreciating them. It's not about drawing a line and saying, just because we are of this tribe, we have to remain in this tribe. Mm. It's about being inclusive and not exclusive. And I keep saying that to, ev- to everyone. And I think I was, I, I, I take a step back and I look at my commercial journey, right? So after, and, and it'll talk about, it'll, it'll talk to what you just said. I've lived in umpteen countries. I've lived in Panama, Colombia, Chile, Poland, a little bit of time in Russia, the Ukraine, Nigeria, I mean, Kuwait, now in this wonderful country, the UAE and Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Ras Al Khaimah. I mean, the activations we're seeing here are just this is a great time to be in this part of the world. Even mm-hmm. our friends in Saudi, Oman, Bahrain, Egypt, everything's happening. Kuwait, things are happening here, right? And what's interesting, though, is is that very much like you, I'm a firm believer that we need to understand how humanity gels together, mm. not how humanity puts itself apart, right? And I think there are certain people... You can have the approach, and and I and one thing which really, I really admire about you is when you're in a position, even when you're being challenged. You are not reactive; you're actually proactive when you're being challenged. That's a superpower. Thank you. And and what is interesting is that I see the way you function, and it's inspiring because a lot of where I look at today, there's there's a lot of. Um, there are a lot of conflicts globally, mm-hmm. right? One of my very good friends, and one of my very good friends in Poland, um, Shemek Alexander Schmidt, and another one, Darius uh, Darius Miduski, always come back and tell me. And my late chairman, I used to work for Dr. Jan Kulczyk in Poland. He would always come. They would always come back and say, "Manoj, you should get into global conflict resolution." <laughs> and you know. The world needs that today, and mm-hmm. I'm sitting here looking at a lot of, a lot of exclusiveness, and I think we need to bring it. We need to bring humanity back together on the basic tenets of decency. All right, yeah. and decency is the ability to be challenged, 
is the ability to ask any question. Mm. And as I said, it's not what you say, it's how you say it, right? And I observe that there's a lot of things out there and some of the sectors that I've played a pivotal role in, energy, energy security by far, without energy, nothing in this room could function, nothing in our lives could function, mm -hmm. right? It's a very pivotal part of global security. And humanity needs to realize there are certain building blocks that these basic human needs, like I said, energy, food, water, infrastructure, healthcare, education, these are the basic tenets that we all need to have as humans in order to grow and interact and make the world a peaceful place. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're living at a really interesting time in, in so many ways. I think it's fascinating in itself that we're in the first quarter, coming towards the end of the first quarter of a, of a new century. And I see and hear and talk to so many people who are very concerned about the way various things are going, worried about their nation, worried about politics and culture and the economy and so on, and just the overall trajectory of humanity. And it's interesting because I very much feel the same way. I talk a lot about some of the issues and concerns I have of the way uh, the West in particular is going, countries like the UK, USA, Canada, and so on. Um, but sometimes you also have to zoom out and take a more global and historical View. look at things, right? So I hear people say things like, oh my gosh, we've never been more divided before, or the polarization has never been so high. Um, it's never been. And then I'm just like, man, zo zoom out a little, zoom out a little. Let, let's look at history and of, of any country, by the way, any, any major country, sure. look at its history and you're generally going to find everything from slavery to genocides to horrible wars, including civil wars, all sorts of racial and ethnic discrimination and conflict to the point of extreme violence and hostility. Um, we still see this a little bit to this day, but it, it, for a long time, it was kind of just the human, the human norm. And I think that something that can stand in our way sometimes, and we can all fall into this trap a little bit, is of not contextualizing where we are right now, and therefore having a lack of perspective and gratitude for how much progress has actually been made. I think we can all recognize that, hey, there's lots of work to be done, right? We have not, we're, we've still got a lot of problems. There's still many things that we can make better. But I think if people could look back, even just 100 years ago, look back to 1924 and compare the world, whichever country you're looking at, compare it in 1924 to how it is now, right? How much more prosperous it is, life expectancy, how human beings treat one another, the um, actual increase in inclusiveness and the decline of hostile tribalism. Um, I think maybe because of the internet and social media, we have just very great visibility and sensitivity to it because we can just see billions of people's opinions all the times and see people fighting and conflicting. But at the same time, as much as that as that can be concerning, I'm like, you know what? If people are talking, they're not they're not killing each other. So there's a couple of things there, right? I I, I go back and I quote one of my one of my spiritual leaders or masters or Swami. Chinmananda, who always used to say the road to success is always under construction. Mm. And I think that's the approach we need to have. So as you said correctly, his, historically speaking, there's always a rebirth 
there's always rejuvenation happens and you go through the whole process, right? But what is also fascinating, Zubi, is the fact that, you know, we sit here today and life expectancy has improved, healthcare has improved drastically. And I think today we're now talking about the current generation that's coming in. They're going to live to be about 100 is what the current targets are, right? So the fact is humanity needs to come together to make sure that as that are there enough resources to ensure that there is enough going around and can we do it in a way that allows humanity to continue to communicate or communicate above board, right? And that's, to me, is one of the main things I think we have to focus on and make sure that part of the messaging... And I think one other thing out there as well, whilst we have these great strides that we have made, there is a significant amount of mental health issues that have come to the surface now because people are actually talking about them. Mm. Historically speaking, I come from a very close culture where you don't even talk about certain aspects. Like yeah. there are certain things. Today, you do. Today, it's okay for you to mention a few things which you're not supposed to talk about, right? Which are considered normal. And I think, you know, we do have a, we do have a culture globally where mental health is something that people are rating very seriously. And of course, a lot of that comes down to your social circle, the content that you consume. Mm -hmm. What are you consuming in terms of your 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 diet? How what's your lifestyle? There's so many factors out there, right? Yeah. So I think we have to have a very intentional approach to understand what outcome do we want to have for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And you have to start with yourself before you start building anything for anyone else. Make sure that you're in the position that you can be a good uh, builder. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think what's interesting is I often use the term overcorrection when I talk about where modern culture and society is in various aspects. And I think that when you overcorrect in either direction on many on, on certain issues, you end up sort of creating the same problem. So... You were talking about growing up in an environment where it's at a level of, for lack of a better term, conservatism, where the speech is kind of stifled. People don't talk about their real problems and their feelings and concerns and things like that. There's certain things just, you know, you, you don't talk about that. And then I think there's been an overcorrection to a point, particularly in, in the West, where people are also, again, feeling stifled and like they're unable to talk not because of the sort of conservatism, but actually because of an, an overcorrection of political correctness to the point where you are so concerned that you may hurt someone's feelings out there in the ether by even broaching certain topics or raising certain issues. I'm sure you've heard of you know, trigger warnings and safe spaces sure, and sure, this and sure, this. Sure. And it's like, now people are like, oh gosh, I, I want to say this thing, but what if there's someone online or in the room, you know, there's a thousand people in this room. What if I say something that one out of that thousand, they have a sensitive spot about that thing. So actually let's just not even talk about it at all. And I think that ironically that's causing some of the chaos that we're now having because people are not openly and honestly talking about, you, you, you said mental health and physical fitness and um, exercise and nutrition and 
massive one, family and the importance of God, religion, spirituality, all of these things. People are like, uh, let's not. Let, let's not talk about that. You know, don't say God, don't use the G word because, you know, maybe there's someone out there who doesn't believe in it or actually, you know, don't talk about the importance of marriage or parenthood or family or whatever because there might be someone who's got this situation. So I, I think it's kind of fascinating how you, whether you go all the way that way or you go all the way that way, you sort of end up with the same problem where speech and communication is now stifled and not happening. And then you can't really solve some of these problems because you're not quote unquote allowed to even have the conversation because just merely having the conversation may upset somebody out there. So there's this balance. Um, there's a term that you use a lot, which is uh, choreography. Um, there's this, there's this dance, there's this choreography between being honest and frank and open whilst also, you know, doing your best not to be overly, abrasive or demeaning or insulting or anything like that and so there's this fine dance look there is definitely a fine line between one's ability to articulate the issue in a very respectful manner mm -hmm. and one being incredibly abrasive yeah. right and i think and i keep on saying that it's never what you say it's how you say it the choreography always matters it's about putting things together and i think when i when i looked at the various pro, the various industries that i've been blessed to to work in and the people that i've been blessed to work with whether in nigeria in london in poland in africa ghana mozambique equatorial guinea gabon i mean namibia in the middle east kuwait saudi the uae i mean it, it just goes on and India as well, and I and Hong Kong, and I'm so grateful. Mexico, L.A., Miami. I, I, but what I find about about having that, having had that exposure from a very young age, and I've been, and I'm very grateful to my parents for having given us a phenomenal exposure, even to my two brothers as well, Dilip and Deepak. We are global citizens, and mm -hmm. I think we are. We can sit with anyone, and we're not gonna. We understand. We understand what differences mean. Yeah. We appreciate them. We respect them, and I think we have the we have the conversations we need to have in a very respectful manner. Mm -hmm. And I think today, what is interesting is there is a whole. I mean, we can switch into one industry that's very close to my heart energy and natural resources and everyone's talking about fossil fuels how we should be less reliant on them what people don't understand is that there's a significant amount of investment has gone into that mm -hmm. which keeps the entire world bright and alive yes. and i'm not getting into a solar powered airplane for a 17 hour <laughs> journey sorry not on i'm not going to take that risk all right i want to i, I want to make sure that i am going to reach my destination and come back okay and i think today what is interesting is the negative messaging that's attacking the energy sector mm. is leading to today's youth not looking to even enter the sector mm. so now you're having a serious issue where there is a void of skilled I'm not going to even call it labor, skilled people coming into a sector 
that you need for the energy transition. Everyone just wants to go renewable or, but you got to take care of the basic tenet of the foundation mm. of the first and the second floor before you go to the third and the fourth and the fifth floor. But people just want to go straight to the, to the fifth and the sixth floor without having gone through the hotel, the actual lobby and going through the whole place, right? And I think what's interesting is that these, and I don't call them legacy industries. These are the six basic human needs, right? Energy is a major part of that. This region yeah. is come up today because of our of the energy, the energy abundance that it's been blessed with, mm -hmm. right? Now, some somebody would say to me, "Why would you use the word energy and blessed in the same sentence?" I said, "Because that's how I see it. It's a blessing, mm. right? What they've been able to do with it is phenomenal, right? And I think we today owe it to ourselves." I'm very particular in the language that I use because when I'm in a corporate setting, whether it's a energy project or a media project or whatever the project, the language we use will determine the focus and energy of the team members around us who will get either, I always joke and I say this, right? The role of, of any leader, you can either cause inspiration or a significant amount of uh, perspiration. So you got to figure out which is the one you want to do. But you actually sometimes need to have both in there. All right. Yeah. But it's also about a thought process to put people to share the vision at the same time, let everyone, I don't want to say buy into it, but they should understand it. And they might not agree with it 100%, but they understand that the intention or the outcome of that execution is going to be good. Yeah. And that's where I think people fall short on. Absolutely. Manoj, one thing I, I, I noticed as, as soon as I met you and every time I talk to you is um, I think you are a master communicator. Very kind of you. And I think it's particularly interesting that you said that uh, as a child, this was an area that you, you massively struggled with. Is, is this something that you have very intentionally developed from that point onward? Or is it sort of just a byproduct of meeting so many people, traveling in lots of places? I know you speak lots of different languages. How has that come to be? Because most people are not great at communication. Communication really is a skill. Um, I don't think we tend to see it as such, but it, but it really is. Whether it's reading, writing, speaking, listening, all of these things are skills. So how have you got well, Zubi, it? Well, thank you very, very much for saying that. You're actually... <laughs> Embarrassing me, a little bit, but <laughs> thank you very much. Um, look, I I, uh, I grew up listening to great, phenomenal orators, mm -hmm. and I spent a lot of time listening to them. One of them is, is of course, Swami Chinmayananda, who, when you listen to this man speak, he speaks. His voice, his presence is felt his energy before he would enter any room. And that was like, wow. And I always said, you know, if I could learn to speak like that or have the ability, President Obama, President Clinton, President Reagan, I mean, you have some great orators out there, Prime Minister Modi. I watch a few of them speak and I'm like, wow, that's, they speak from, a, they speak from, from here. Mm. They speak from their heart. They really go out there and talk about what's happening and they address their nation, right? And I look at the world's successful leaders today, even look at the leadership here, the UAE, they resonate because they've understood how to com communicate. And 
to me was I always looked at, it's fascinating to look at influences in life, right? And I think growing up, we were having a quick chat about this before, but the influence of media in my life, okay? And I would re remember back then when everybody was watching linear TV, regular TV, mm -hmm. the shows would come out every week. So growing up in Hong Kong, my parents, we'd have whatever, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, whatever the night was. The first show we all watched was Happy Days, right? <laughs> we all wanted to be the Fonz, the cool guy. I never understood why he had a his office was in the toilet. That's something which I <laughs> never un understood, but that was part of the the show, right? And then my most fascinating show was probably there, there was a couple of but one of them that really blew me away was the A Team, mm. which was a group of misfits coming together to do a project. And you have a great project leader who was an execution specialist. And his tagline was, I love it when a plan comes together. And he'd pull out his cigar. And, and I was like, that's kind of cool. This guy pulled people in for international projects, got things done. So sort of being able to communicate and effectively articulate mm. to a group of different people, what was the end game? I picked that up right there. I was like, that's pretty cool. This guy, he was in the army with them. But yet he kept in touch with them. They trusted him. He built a level of trust. He was able to communicate each project and they achieved it. And probably my all-time favorite was Dallas. I watched Dallas and that actually got me wanting to be in the oil business. <laughs> and I wanted to have the commercial acumen of Jock Ewing and the empathy of Bobby Ewing. That's what I, I was like, I want to get into international, international energy because it's just cool. And then you got Miami Vice. You got so many shows out there. And I think the first show that was my introduction to artificial intelligence was Knight Rider, where Kit comes right through. And now you sit there and think about it. That's a Tesla to yeah. me, right? I mean, if you think about it, that's actually kind of very, that's very, very cool. So, but I also looked at one thing, even shows like Miami Vice, they all communicated very well what they were doing. And I, th I think any industry that you are in, mm -hmm. com communication is something. And I, I say this to my children. I'm very grateful, very blessed. Anju my wife, Anju, and I have been married for all, over 28 and a half years. We have three wonderful children, Dharam, Sadna, and Anavi. And I always joke with them. And I think the joke growing up was, what value are you adding today? And part of it is being able to communicate and and having the ability to clearly articulate what you are going to achieve, how you are going to, to achieve it, and what is the the process that is required from everyone to achieve that. And I think I've watched presidents of college, leaders, influencers, your voice, I mean, your voice is a powerful tool and you know it you can either use it you mm. you either use it or you abuse it that choice is yours and i think we have an obligation yes to leave every place or person better than we found it mm -hmm. that's how i think is that if i come to you and if i cannot make you smile i'm not going to 
make you cry. Right? <laughs> that's how I, that's how I think about things, yeah. right? And and that's the kind of philosophy. So communication is a big thing, and and, and I think going back to what you said, you know, I grew up. I mean, Zubi, I was. God, I I would be I would literally start crying if I had to go and if I had to go into party and just I- introduce myself. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is going to be horrible, and I would just want to leave as soon as I can. And I think it's because I I didn't have anyone who thought that I could I could switch and because I grew up left handed. Okay. And my grandmother did not think that was a good thing, so she converted me to being right-handed and that sort of affected the neural patterns but maybe something that Neuralink can actually help me with you know you never know (laughs) yeah you you've raised a lot of interesting points there um i definitely want to talk about media obviously you've started a a media company but um before jumping onto that one conclusion i think i've reached or realization i've had is that if you are an adult whether or not you want to be, you are a role, role model of sorts. I noticed that um, I get asked a lot, you know, being being in the music world and especially being a rapper, I, I've been asked in many interviews, do you think that rappers should be role models? Or do you think that uh, YouTubers or social media influencers, who, whoever it might be, athletes, actors, do you think these people should be role models? Or do you think they are role models? And I think it doesn't matter if you if you're an artist or a celebrity or a musician or an athlete, whatever, and you're there and millions of people know who you are, whether or not you want to be a role model, you are. If you are a parent, whether or not you want to be a role model or you consider yourself one, you are. I think if you are just an adult, there will be people out there, fellow adults and especially younger people who are watching you and paying attention to you and listening to you and learning from you for better or for worse. And similar to that point I was making about teachers having more of an impact on people's lives than I think they themselves realize, I think that vast majority of people in this world, I think we we all underestimate just how powerful and influential we are upon each other. Um, I just don't think most people sort of pause to really think about how many people they impact in all sorts of different ways. If you think about it, by someone being a parent, um, I'm not a parent yet. Lord willing, I absolutely will be in the future, near future, in fact. Um, But if you're a parent, I think most people think of, okay, obviously you're you're raising children and the children are going to be influenced by the parents. And I think a lot of people kind of stop there in their thinking. But those children that you raise or don't are going to go out there in the world and they're going to interact with thousands or millions of people and impact them in their own way. And then they're likely to have their own children. And there's the the sort of splash radius that we all have on each other day to day, sometimes in major ways, sometimes in very minor ways, is is massive. If there is a young man out there who's running around doing criminal activity or harming people, training people, there's a good chance that when it came to parenting, there was a big, there was a big mistake or there was a big gap that gone. And now all these other people are suffering the consequences. On the flip side, if a child is raised well, and then they go on and they impact people positively and go on, it's just, I think if we all could just take take a moment and, and think about that sort of 
I want to say splash damage. It's not damage, but just the the ripple effect that we all have on each other. It's it's huge, and it, it's quite. I'll tell you what. For me, in the past five years, this is something that's that's really hit me. Um, going to a stage of a few thousand people knowing me to tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands to millions, and I see the DMs people send me. I get stopped in. in lots of different places and different cities and countries. And people are telling me, man, like you did this for me, or you helped me with this or what. It could have just been a tweet I put out there. It could be a tweet I wrote in 2020 and I just put it out there. Uh, Maybe I was in the bathroom. Thought comes to mind. I I post it there. I'm not thinking that much of it, but then there was someone who read that. And and you know what? That was the little kick. That was a little push that they needed to keep on going for that moment they were in the world. And I'm just like, Wow, that is um it's humbling. It's also a little bit scary because I'm like, gosh, what's the um if millions of people are seeing and hearing all the <laughs> all these things I'm saying, it feels like it sort of puts this this burden on you. Um but I think it's a it's it's a fascinating way to it's a fascinating way to look at things. I think it's so interesting even what you said in regards to media. I think it's fascinating that you have specific fictional characters even who growing up you were like, I can learn something from that person. Or I want to be like that guy. I want to dress like that person. I want to speak like this individual. I think it's all it's all extraordinarily powerful. So what's interesting, Zuby, is what you just said, right? Do I see, the, and I'm going to phrase your question and go on there, is that, or put it into a comment, is that as a, as someone with such a large, and I'm not going to even use the word, social media following as someone with a large following are you a role model absolutely and if i go back and think about what you just said you have the ability today to influence people's lives right and i don't call it a burden i call it you're blessed with a beautiful with a beautiful ability some people will call it an obligation Mm. it's not you basically have been given certain tenets and today you are the sum average of the five people that you spend the most time with right my mother and now i now i know why my mother as we were growing up always wanted to meet the parents of my friends Uh i never knew why i'm like what is like why is mom being so nosy because she wanted to understand the influences of the children yes and see how that would then influence us as children growing up. And I think today, I look at it. There are certain industries that I won't touch. That's fine. I'm not gonna. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just I'm. There are certain things I will not do. Right. Yet, and there are certain. But, however, I also feel that today, the world has changed. You have the ability to influence people using your phone, which is huge. All right. So I, I always joke and say growing up, I grew, I grew up watching my father use the uh, telex machine a lot, which is now effectively a, you know, X tweeter, mm-hmm. whatever it's called, but putting out short form content. But what's interesting is you're absolutely right. You're able to reach people and you don't know directly or what, what is the impact it's having. No. The, only, the only thing you can see is your following is growing, which is great. So you have one statistic out there but you're also more mindful of what you're gonna put out because your voice matters yeah 
And I think that's the responsibility mm -hmm. that you have is to be a conscious content creator, right? Yeah. So, so, and, and it's very interesting to see because you then sort of take a step back and I think current media has, I mean, current media, that landscape has changed completely. And you and I have had a lot of conversations about that. So, yeah, it, it's, it's also scary because it's so new. I mean, constantly the, changing. Yeah. Right? I mean, prior to 20 years ago, who had thousands, let alone millions of followers, you had to be a traditional celebrity Correct. or a politician or yeah. royalty or something. Now you can be an 18 year old, you can be an 18 year old guy or girl who does dances or plays video games or does comedy or is just really good looking or lifts weights. And you can have an audience potentially in the millions. Yes. And that is completely new. There's no blueprint. There's no guidebook. There's no book saying, okay, look, this is how, this is how you ha should handle this. this. This is how you should proceed. And so we're seeing a lot of great examples, I think, sure. but we're also seeing just this utter chaos yeah, but, but, <laughs> that's happening as well. But yeah. that's where I think one needs to learn to differentiate the signal from the noise, mm. right? How do you make sure? So like you said, you're not going to sit here and follow and read content from 10,000 people a day. You physically cannot, all right? You, there are some people that will that are your preferences and some people that, that if you can, you will. Yeah. You're not going to be able to read every single book that comes out every day. You choose the ones that, that you like and you resonate with. And I, th I think having that selection, having that power of mental discrimination to understand what you like and what you don't like is what drives you, right? And I think we have, as humans, it's... I, I always want to understand or look at something from my partner's eyes, mm. okay? So sometimes, and, and this is something that I'm learning or learn. I'd always go in there with my agenda. Now I'm like, no, let's understand their agenda first. Mm. Because if we're going to try to do something, I got to look at it from their lens. I'm not going to come in here and tell you that I want things done in a certain way. No, let me, let me first understand your lens, and get it done. So therefore, there is no, and currently, this industry or this social media growth, there is no playbook. It's no. being created as it comes along. So for me, who is a traditional person, I don't have a lens. All I know is that if I activate certain certain types of content mm -hmm. with certain with certain talent, I should achieve the 1 plus 1 equals 11 outcome where I can put for example, Dr. Deepak Chopra's fiction novels, get the scripts developed, put the right talent to it, get the film or the TV series made, and then I can activate to his community globally who wants to see that. Mm. Same thing with Russell Peters, same thing with what we did on our first movie, 72 Hours. It's about putting it, putting it together in a thoughtful manner, right? And there is no playbook no. because even now, part of the conversation that you and I had was apart from the various, and I use the word various actors that are in this independent content creator space, there's also a view that legacy media or mainstream media is very nervous Yes, because, I mean, look, we had, uh, I mean, the strikes that were in Hollywood and I, you and I had a chat about this. 
centralized media controlling the entire landscape, telling talent, telling people how much they should get paid, what is going to be greenlit, what is not, irrespective whether people have a community or not, Mm -hmm. they're playing a a major role in people's livelihoods, right? And today, like you said, you have the ability, you, for, for example, have communities in millions globally across all the media platforms, which is fantastic. You have a voice. People listen to what you're saying. So today, when I look at someone like you, I look at the fact that what a positive influence you could have on so many lives by showing people that there is, hey, there is a, there is a path. Mm. You, you don't all have to follow the same path, right? Yeah. And I think we've seen in the past a lot of great athletes when they retire, some of them fall off a cliff, they become irrelevant. In my view, absolutely not. There's These are great teachers, great mm. mentors out there to go and inspire the next generation, how to get into the game, how to stay in the game. It's why is it that only in the corporate world, great CEOs join other boards? Yes. Think about that. Why hasn't a great football player, in the majority, I mm-hmm. mean, why haven't they gone in to be advisors for all the other clubs or all the other people looking at the sports things? Musicians. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of path that, that, and I look at it from a very, maybe I'm very old school in yeah. my thought process, but it's about activating and making sure that your community is um, not only appreciative, but at the same time, you can constantly in, keep them engaged. Yeah. What, what do you, where do you see media going over the next 10 to 20 years? So interesting question, Zubi. Part of the reason I got into the media space was I observed something very interesting happening. Happened. We all saw it during when the world shut down because of COVID, where we saw Netflix and all Netflix, Prime, Apple, all various OTT platforms, OSN Showtime, AHA, in India, Reliance, Geo, you name it. They started activating to another to another level, right? Yeah. So you effectively could bring in the cinema to your home, right? So now people that were traditionally launching their movies for cinema distribution, and then you went through a certain window and then activated the window. Then, I'm talking way back when, used to move to DVDs and then would move to cable TV and then would move to planes, aviation, etc., or what they call the library. Now suddenly, it came to your home first, okay, <laughs> via a streamer or an, an OTT platform. And then you were trying to monetize it all the way through. So the players who were in the distribution business wanted to get into the studio business. And the studios wanted to get into the distribution business. So without so both sides are pretty well capitalized. So they both decided to enter into a pricing war. What is interesting, when you focus, and this I learned from Professor Dawson, who I attended a HBS course with him. Um, when you focus on the competition, you will lose money. Mm. When you focus on providing a solution, you will make you will make money. Yeah. So what's interesting now, I'm seeing a dislocation in the media space completely. And sort of I, I use the analogy of when people talk about I want to take food farm to table. 
I want to take media farm to table, mm-hmm. which means we are activating with independent content creators that have global communities who do not want to lose their IP. They want to keep their IP and they want to keep a good monetization part of their IP. So we are working with them, activating them, putting the right talent that we think is going to fit with them. That's that one plus one formula. Mm. And now how do we activate that? I'm not going to take it to a traditional studio. I think the days of $100, $200 million films are gone. I don't think that that's going to be sustainable. That's where a select few and has become very elitist and has caused a lot of the problems. Apart from the film business, look at the music business. Mm-hmm. I mean, you yourself are an internationally renowned rapper. I like your work, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> um, and the fact that you're able to resonate and reach the audience yourself, monetize yourself, mm-hmm. shows you that there is optionality out there, right? Yeah. And I think that's going to continue. So now it's about, but how, but then. The process of decentralization occurs when you have distribution, right? And if you look at where all the platforms are going, whether it's whether it's X, whether it's TikTok, whether it's YouTube, everyone's going out there and improving their content slate, their con their content access. And I think now you don't have to be beholden to one platform. You can decide which platform you want to go on. I think it's putting the power back into the creators and the talent's hands. And yeah. and that's I see that's going to be a major, major push into the future. I see a major role for telcos mm-hmm. because 5G has driven everything. I mean, everything we have today is because we have the ability to stream on 5G and then it'll go to 6G and 7G, et cetera, et cetera. I see the telcos as being as working extremely well. Mm-hmm. I look at the regional telcos, the likes of, you know, Etisalat, Zane, all of them. I see a future there. And I think what's going to happen is that you're going to find they're all going to come together and start applying the one plus one equals equals 11 model. So I give you simply an example. If I were to go out there and let's just say we're going out for a film slate, we're about to produce a movie. Now, traditional route, you need to know someone. Yes, you'll go. I mean, it's very exclusive. In this case, I'd be like, hey, Zuby, would you like to... I think there's a, a role here for you. Yeah. <laughs> Check it out, right? And it's because you have a community that follows you. Mm-hmm. It's also inspiring to show your trajectory. You're an artist. You're a humanitarian. You play a lot of roles and you inspire people based on the roles that you have right so our job at beacon media is to apply the one plus one equals 11 Mm -hmm. formula to every single production we touch Mm -hmm. and it's about collaboration someone asked me someone asked me three or four days ago Manoj, who's your competition? I was like there is no competition (laughs) that's the wrong approach I'm not here to take someone's food away yeah I'd rather work with the smartest person in my space and say, you know what? You've achieved this. Let's achieve this Mm -hmm. together. And that's how we can activate globally. And I think what's interesting is cultural sensitivities can cross-pollinate well in content. We've seen it in uh, music, Mm -hmm. right? Um, 
I've watched the growth of Nigerian content globally, Indian content, South India, North India, some of my closest friends. I mean, one one of my very close friends here and who lives here, Sukhbir Singh, Punjabi artist, very successful. Actually, I see a one plus one for you and him, which okay. I will, which I I will actually, <laughs> okay, I'll make that happen. But I think what's interesting, Zubi, is the ability for for independent artists like yourselves, and that's where we see a huge opportunity of coming to you and saying, mm-hmm. "Listen, we're not going to come to you and say we're going to give you the traditional studio route." That's yeah. not the point, because we're seeing now a lot of the the large legacy media companies they've acquired a lot of IP. There's no creativity, right? It's just copy paste, copy yes. paste, copy paste, copy paste. Doesn't work that way. Yeah. It's how do we bring you into something original? You have a community around you. What kind of content fits? How can we activate it? And how do we go out there and start generating? And then what ends up happening is it also becomes a great tool for companies or for people in the direct to consumer space who want to come into product placement. And making it more accessible to the local brands, yes. as opposed to making it an exclusive. Like, I'm only going to be featured in a, in a James Bond movie, and I paid gazillions. Mm-hmm. That's great. Don't get me wrong; I'm a huge James Bond fan. But you got to provide access, yes. and that decentralization is where I see X, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. You're giving the power back to the creators, and I, I think. If you do not take care of the creators, that industry is not going to be there. And I think Hollywood lost the plot when I looked at the strikes. The fact that they could starve people for so many days, Mm -hmm. that's not human. That's not how you're supposed to treat people. You're supposed to treat people with respect, especially the ones that are allowing you to eat. The the, the lifeblood, both the creators and also the audiences the, as well. 100%. Right? At the same time, you're yes. disrespecting the creators. Both of them. And you're also disrespecting the, the audience, audience and yeah. sometimes even going as far as insulting them. Yeah. Which is um, definitely not a sustainable no. business model, nor is it, nor is it ethically correct. Um, something I think that, that's really interesting is you have such uh, – you're, you're like myself. We're both very much of the global citizens. We've grown up in a sort of lots of, across lots sure. of different countries and cultures, meeting all these people. Um, I know the, the vast majority of people who listen to my podcast, my primary biggest audience is in the USA, followed by UK, Canada, and Australia. And in these Western nations, despite the internet and social media, there's still very limited visibility of what's happening in the east so we're here right now in dubai recording this Uh, my family background originally from nigeria your family originally from india you've lived worked traveled to all these places you've got a very keen eye of what is happening not just in hollywood right but what's happening in india what's going on in africa what's going on in china all these different places so one thing that i totally think is going to happen in this century is decentralization and multi multipolarization on on everything i think the days of ever just looking to the usa or looking to the west for like all cultural influences and so on that is going to that that power and influence is going to, to spread out a lot more than i think most people 
realize and appreciate. I think actually most people would be surprised if they learned that more movies are produced in Nigeria and in India than are coming out sure. of the US. They don't realize how big these markets are when it comes to music. They don't realize how huge some of these artists and groups sure. are because they, they might not be doing English language music, but you've got these artists who are out there with tens, hundreds of millions of people. I, I may not even know who's, <laughs> who some of them are, right? But they're just absolutely massive. And so I'm curious to see how this is all going to play out over the next couple of decades as we move from a more Western and particularly US-centric point in terms of the the entertainment and the, the cultural influence. I, I see that spreading out a lot more. I see India, I think, is a – I haven't been there myself, but I think – We have to in, get you there. Yeah, we I think it, I mean, just – Obviously, now it's the most populous country in the world, and I yes. just look at India as this kind of obvious sleeping giant. Where I think if you're in, you talk to the average American or Brit or whatever, and you mention India, they're just oh, you know, poor country, blah blah blah. Like they don't really, there, there's a sort of image of it, um, which is massively downplaying where I think that country is going to be ten years from now, twenty years from now, fifty years from now. I think we have a massive recency and now bias where we just think, okay, this is how the world is. These are what the numbers are. And this is just how it's going to be. And people don't think, what was Dubai 50 years ago? Right? Like who would have looked, who would have looked at this patch of land 50 years ago and gone, oh, okay, yeah, in the 2020s, this is what it's going to be like, and you're going to have people moving from all these different countries and they're going to be setting up businesses. They're going to be creating, they're going to be doing podcasts and making music. And they're going to be, you, you wouldn't have foreseen that. Of course. And so I often think, okay, what are the, what and where are the places and the people who 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, people are going to be like, oh gosh, like we, we missed that one. So there's a, there's a good friend of mine called Dr. Parag Khanna in Singapore. He talks about the influence of cities globally. Okay. So he doesn't even talk about the fact that countries are going to be influential. It's going mm -hmm. to be certain cities, mm -hmm. right? Talks about Lagos, Bombay, Istanbul, Dubai, mm -hmm. Abu Dhabi, Riyadh, Mexico City, mm -hmm. South uh, Seoul, South Korea, Singapore. I mean talks about various cities and their influence on the on today's youth right and i think what's interesting is that when we when i was in college and that was a long time ago i graduated in 91 everybody wanted to go work in new york and london yep and that's the place that you wanted to cut your you know teeth on i came back to the family business in hong kong and then i left off to panama colombia and chile and today though i'm finding a lot of the youth they're looking to come to the Middle East. Yep. They're looking to come to Africa. They're looking to come to Central South America. And they're looking to go to India or Southeast Asia. Interesting. Yeah. And that's because they're seeing the opportunity here. They're seeing the fact exactly what you said. I mean, take from Abu Dhabi to Ras Al Khaimah, Dubai. None of this 50 years ago. This is all one big desert, yeah. right? Today they've created it's not and this has been by design mm. there's a very great focus on what they wanted to achieve and i look at i look at my children as well my children's peers and their friends group a lot of them are moving here mm -hmm. 
because they're like, look, the opportunity, the market size, the growth, yes. the growth, right? So look at the growth in Africa. And you said this. No one knows how many movies are being made in Nollywood. Yeah. In India, there's Bollywood and Tollywood. And I think what... Which one's Tollywood? I'm not familiar. South India. Okay. Bollywood is North India. Okay. So what's interesting is you've got markets of two, 300 million people. That's countries. Okay. That's a few countries put together. Yeah. So many, so many of the content producers in India, they're so content. Mm. No pun intended. They're so content <laughs> just making content in India, for India. They're like, we yeah. don't even need to go outside. Yeah. There's a huge audience here. But what we need to do, and I think that's part of our global narrative, I consider you a global humanitarian. That's how I see you, where... Yeah. You have a role to play to take the culture, to, to cross-pollinate the cultures. Mm. And I see the same thing, right? When I look at a culture, like I've lived here now. I've moved to Kuwait in 2005, moved to Dubai in 2007. Um, I look at the fact that there is a significant amount of content that can be created. Interestingly, no one is created. And this is what one of the projects that I'm sure, Zubi, you and I are going to be you and I are going to be working on this. I, I want to put together a series between the Middle Eastern Arabian content and India, mm. and then the Middle Eastern Arabian content and Nigeria, and put it all together with India. There's a, the demographics between India and Nigeria fit very, very well. Mm. So it's, again, using data, going out there and creating great stories that we know people are going to watch here. And at the same time, making sure that the industry locally is robust enough that it can sustain itself. It's got a captive audience here and you can activate. And I mean, no one would have thought that something like Squid Games that came from <laughs> Korea, Korea was yeah. going to take over the world, right? And in India, the number one the number one genre that's being watched is Korean content. That's fascinating. Okay, so it, it just shows that people want the cross-pollination. Mm -hmm. So I think we're sitting in very interesting times. And I, I think that legacy media, mainstream media, uh, we're not in the news aspect of that. So that's not our business. But the content creation part of it, I think they're, they, they need to realize that they're, they've lost the touch with the consumer. Mm -hmm. And not every film has to be 100 million. You should, I mean, the fact that people are asking for, I mean, look, I will never eat my food looking at someone else's plate, but we have watched. I mean, I would think <clears throat> one or one or two of the most conscious Hollywood players. I look at, I look at Keanu Reeves, where he would, whatever he was getting paid, he would always take a little bit of it down so that he could attract a bigger star, mm. and that's how he applied the one plus one equals eleven philosophy. Even though he still got paid well, yeah. good for him, great. But he was able to adjust to create a much larger pie. Mm. And I think today, the world of collaboration, and I think when I look at you, I look at some of your, some of your work where collaboration is a strong theme with you. It's mm -hmm. very, very nice. And that's how I see this. I see the power of collaboration. And then I see the power of decentralization, right? So, for example, if you, you have a community of 1.1%, 1.2 million on X. Um, X. Yeah. And I think if you hopefully soon, God willing, be able to announce Zuby starring in this movie, 
I'm sure it will do well because it's coming this year. It, yeah. I'm not joking. <laughs> because, never say never. I, 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 I was actually, I've been in three films in the past 18 months. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, but not, not giant ones, just so people don't get, don't know, get gassed but, up. But, <laughs> but, but there are, yeah. there are things that are coming across our desk, right? Yeah. And it's about looking forward and saying, all right, these are the people that have a community around them that is going to garner around what you're doing and then it can activate. And then that's where I think we do at, you know, Beacon is work with independent content creators in independent talent and say, listen, you know, come with us. We'll put you in a couple of the films that we have. This is the content that we have that already has a community around it. And then we activate it through different distribution channels. And that's what's exciting is that I don't need to own a studio or build a studio. We partner with everyone. Yeah. And it's that whole p- partnership thing, right? So everything is about the one plus one. So that's how I think about life. Awesome. Manoj, I want to shift gears a little bit. We've talked a lot about your background. We've been talking about the media space and where we see the world and the future going. There are a lot of young people, young men in particular, who listen to this podcast. And I think there's another area which runs in the runs in the background for you throughout this conversation, but I'm curious to ask you about more directly and get some game on for myself Shoot. <laughs> and for the other young men out there. Um, family is obviously really important to you. You've mentioned family several times, both as a child, as a young man, and you've spoken about your wife, you've spoken about your three children, and that's obviously something that's very important to you, as it should be. Um, which question do I want to go with first? First of all, actually, you know what? How did you meet your wife? Tell me the story. <laughs> my wife is going to love this story. Let's go. <laughs> I met my wife. We were introduced at a nightclub in college. I was on a date, and uh, we have a Jamaican friend of ours, Stanja Grindley. You were on a date with? I was on a date with somebody else. Okay. <laughs> okay. And Stanja told my wife, Anju, that there's an Indian boy from the same tribe, and she should come and meet so Stanja wanted to be my friend because I was the one that controlled all the nightclub guest lists and in college so that she could get on the guest list. So she brought Anju along. I was on a date um, with this blonde uh, with this blonde woman. <laughs> and Anju, I was introduced to Anju who got all dressed up. I still remember her very clearly. And I was sitting with my friends, whatever, we were sitting at the bar, at the, having some drinks, etc. And she met me and she could see that I was clearly on a date. She looked at her friend Stanja and goes, this guy's a jerk and turned, <laughs> turned around and left. And um, at the end of the night, I said to my friend Yoshi, I said, you see that girl, Anju? Mm-hmm. I said, yeah. I said, that's the girl I'm going to marry. And he's like, what are you, crazy? How much have you had to drink? What's going on? I said, that's the woman I'm going to marry. And I subsequently spent the next couple of years just chasing her. Okay. I just saw her and I said, this is the one. And uh, Had you, did you, you had no knowledge of her prior to this? Nothing. You just, just I from just, seeing her. I just saw her and I said, this okay. is the one. And she's, um, yeah, I'm very grateful she stuck, she stuck uh, with me for so long. But uh, no, no, Anju and I got married in 95. Uh, we were both tw- very young at the time. I was 24 and a half. Um, we met when I was, I think, around 19 or 20. Mm-hmm. And uh, she moved. She was born in, she's from the same tribe, born in Jamaica, 
okay. grew up in Miami and we met in college. And then when we got married, we moved to Poland. Mm. We moved to Warsaw, Poland. I was there for a year before. We were there for 10 years together. Our three kids, three children were born in the States. And then uh, we left Poland for Kuwait in 2005. Okay. So family, no, no. Fa and she's my rock. And she is a very sensible woman. And uh, I think I, I always say this to my children. The most important decision you make is mm. the person you get you get married to. And I think I've, I have a great partner and not only a partner, then she knows how to put me right. Yeah. She knows how to bring me back to earth when I need to. And I think um, I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful to have her in my life. Amazing. Oh, I, I love to hear that. Um, part of the reason I, I, I want you to speak on this, by the way, is because there is so much awful information for both men and women <laughs> floating around the internet i'm sure you i'm sure you've seen i'm sure, sure, you've sure. Seen of course you clips. have i'm sure you've seen. of course you have and it seems like the people who are giving the most advice and speaking most boldly on the topic from either the male or the female perspective tends to be people who are not in relationships and have never been married and are not parents and so on and so forth and look people can sometimes still offer good advice in certain situations. But if I'm curious to know about the realities of marriage and sustaining it and being with the right person and raising children and all that, I feel a lot more confident and happy to ask that question to someone who's been doing it for 20, 30, 40, sure. 50 years than someone who's, you know, read a couple game books on the internet and then is, you know, grabbing a microphone and broadcasting out to the world. Um, so look, every so, thought on the mind. So what is interesting is, you know, I, I have a, a bit of a theory here on, okay. on this or not a theory, but I have a, a, a outlook, right? So I'd fly to Houston from 2007 to 2015 when I was working for Dr. Jan Kulchik and Kulchik Investments. I was, I mean, with my colleagues, Darius, Sebastian Kulchik, Dominika, Kulchik, all of them. I'd be on a plane all the time. I'd, I'd, I would go to Houston once a month for dinner with two of our partners. It's a long trip, right? Mm -hmm. Dubai, Houston, a seventeen-hour flight each yep. way. I'd go for twenty-four hours and fly right back. In addition to all my travels, and that was a commitment that I made. So I always say that if I make these commercial commitments, mm -hmm. what's my family? commitment mm -hmm. and at that time my family commitment was i would be home every single weekend my wife was i mean anju was great with the kids took care of the three children i'd come back i was a weekend dad for those eight years and it was tough yeah but it had to be done and i think and look again please understand not everything works out in life that's why certain startups don't succeed Certain marriages don't work. It's all it's all part of life, right? My mother has taught me one thing, which she always says: try to end a try to end if you need to end any relationship, try to end it the way it started with a handshake and a hug. So that's something I always keep in mind, and that's why, you know, I look at the fact that a lot of very successful people. Mm -hmm. A lot of very successful people forget where they came from. Yes. And they have what's called 
commercial or some sort of amnesia kicks in <laughs> and they don't remember that this is the people that they grew up with. This mm -hmm. is the people that was with them when they were going through their struggle and they were building. And then suddenly they want to just change everything. Yes. That's okay. Mm -hmm. But if you do want to change, do it, do it with elegance. Mm -hmm. All right. And that's why I, I don't hold, I'm not here to be, I'm not here to play the role of the almighty. I'm not. Sure. I'm a human being like everyone else. I make mistakes like everyone else. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I hold myself to probably a higher standard. But at the same time, I am human. So I'm going to have to work at, at everything. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's not a bed of roses every day. Of course. But you got to, it's bigger than you. Yeah. It's for a larger cause. Mm -hmm. You've got other people involved. Mm -hmm. Livelihood role models what are you doing and i think you know it's about handing things right yeah. so so I, I i do think that today's i mean i'm not here to tell you whether someone's a good role model for being a father or being a businessman that's your independent choice you're you know what your values are i don't need to tell you what your values yeah. should be and, and i'm not going to play anyone's moral compass but what I am going to tell you is that for me as an individual, mm -hmm. family and religion play a major part of me. Yes. They are part of my foundation. And it's not and it's religion, spirituality, it's energy. All right. I mean, if I tell you this, you I've been I've been uh baptized at the River Jordan. Why? Because I could. I was like, you know what, I'm gonna do it. Why not? It's cool. Yeah. And it's and I don't mean that. I was like, this is an auspicious place. Yeah. Of course, I'm going to get blessings. Mm -hmm. I've been to the, I've been to the Vatican. I've been to so many places, mm -hmm. and it's about accepting, right? Yes. So we've got all kinds of religion inside our family. Everyone's accepted mm -hmm. through marriage, and it's it's it works extremely well. Yeah. So I think it's we're we're not here to project our our moral compass on anyone mm -hmm. that's for us and that's why it's an internal compass you keep it to yourself yeah you know it, it it's interesting that you you sort of say that caveat because i i think it's important for people to talk about these things because the the, the way i see it is oftentimes the people who are most um bold and courageous and willing and outspoken to speak on all of these things are often people who are the least qualified to do so. So when you talk to someone who has, well, you've, you've, you've clearly worked out some things and you've had successes in different areas and you've achieved this and you've maintained this and done what I'm curious to know, but uh, oftentimes I, perhaps it's, perhaps it's humility, right? I think a lot of people who have succeeded and achieved in certain areas in oftentimes they're, they're more humble. So they may not want they don't even sometimes they won't even want to come on a podcast, right? They don't really want to talk about these things. I, I had a guy on my podcast a couple of years ago, and he was very, very shy to come on it, but I managed to convince him because I was uh, <laughs> it's funny, like many things, it started on Twitter. I was uh, I, I was having a I don't even know how it came up. I think I said that you know, in a, ideally in a perfect world in the future, I'd love to have at least five children. I think I tweeted something along the lines, and then I ended up I, I almost started a, a sort of mini meme 
where people who, it turns out I have a lot of followers who have a lot of kids. Okay. And so nice. people started posting photos. Oops, this guy posts a photo of him and his fat wife and five children saying, yep, we've got five. And oh, it's nice. amazing. Go for it. Right. <laughs> Someone else posts, hey, we've got seven. Family of nine. <laughs> Someone else comes in. Look, this is us. Our family of 12. I had 10 kids. Like, it's wonderful. Da, da, da. So people are posting photos. And then this guy steps in. 16. Wow. 41-year-old <laughs> wow. man and his, and his wife. 16, 16 kids. Just posted the photo. I was like, dude, I want you on my podcast. That's like, I, I, I was just like... I was, I was like, please come on. my. I have so many questions. I have so many questions. He's like, I've, I'm just a normal guy. I've never done a podcast before. You know, he was very shy about it. But, you know, I, his name was uh, Alex Peabody. Um, and we had, because I just had so many questions of how, how do you do this? Was, was this? was this your plan all along? Or did you kind of work this? Like, are there lots of twins or is it? I just had these questions. Are you going to have more? Um, and so I, it's interesting. I just find in, in lots of these different areas, even talking to someone like Elon Musk, who's achieved stupid, <laughs> like, achieved ludicrous things. And, you know, I'm sitting there just like, but how, how have you done this? How, how have you done that? And it's interesting, even talking to someone like him again, there's, you know, humility is great. And I, I, I want people to, I guess I just, I want listeners to be able to, to, to learn. So right. I think one thing one thing is mm. there though, right? Yeah. The age the age bracket yeah. does help. I mean, I am fifty-three. Mm-hmm. So there's a twenty-three year old man listening to this right, right. now. There's a thirteen year old listening right and now. I am very conscious of what I should say mm. because I don't want it to be perceived and I say this in, in in a way that I've got an obligation to make sure that whatever message I'm putting out there mm-hmm. is a conscious one yes i mean i mean one of my favorite films growing up was wall street right i mean <laughs> michael douglas who i who i met uh, a couple of i've met him at uh, brown university with his wife Catherine, but met up with him again at the indian film festival in november and of course his famous line on wall street greed for lack of for <laughs> greed for lack of a better word is good yeah. right very powerful movie on my life because it showed me what not to do mm-hmm. okay look at the influence that that one film had on a generation unbelievable even right? that line that i mean still there right yeah. and then i sort of look at the fact that today a lot of the world, we talk about de- decentralization. We talk about sharing the power. I mean, I still, a couple of things I don't understand. And even though coming from the capital markets background, I don't understand this, where certain companies, certain tech companies are doing extremely well, yet they're laying off people just so they can go back and buy their own stock back. I'm like, what? Yeah, You're actually going to put people on the street and again, reward those who already have enough. Mm-hmm. Why would you do that? Why don't you find a find a way to pivot or find a way to put? I mean, these are qualified people that have come to you, and and you just want to and you want to announce a three percent or five percent cut in your cost base, and your share price goes through the roof, and yeah. everyone sits there and claps hands. I'm like, no, that's not what it should be. Mm-hmm. So, but how do we create a much larger pie that we can keep the people in, right? Mm-hmm. And I think family and Again, family, 
your religion or however you view things in life, it is a personal thing. Yes. But for me, it's a major part of who I am. Yeah. And I, the people that I tend to collaborate with share the same values, yes. right? So, I mean, I think you are naturally going to align yourself with those that there's a value alignment as well, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I want to, um, with every podcast I do, I often just think about, you know, I have the conversations and I ask the questions that I'm curious no, about. No, no, please go ahead. And, um, but, you know, I, I'm also very conscious of, you know, the biggest demographic of listeners to this are men between 25 and 45. Oh, wow. Interesting. That's the biggest demographic. I think that's about 70% of the audience fits into there. A lot of Amazing. women listen as well and about younger people, older people. Sure. Surprising amount of people over 65 actually listen to Amazing. this podcast. Um, and so with each guest I have, I think it's good for people to just – here and learn from the mindset. I, I, I know my, I know and trust my audience enough that I feel like I don't need to give too many caveats. Sure. I think that they, they know, you know, sure. I'm, I'm not, each guest is not coming with a set of absolute commandments <laughs> in some authoritarian manner that no, they must follow. It's just 100%. like, look, this is, this is my perspective. This has been my experience. These are the things that have worked out well for me and for other people sure. who I've seen out there. So I think people can just listen to that and I think make some notes and I think there is look there is a level of again you know interestingly enough when Anju and I got married she wanted four kids and I said two and we ended up on three which yeah. is fine which is exactly think about it right and very happy and I think these are the questions we need to have and mm -hmm. I think these are the questions today when you're getting into something when you're getting into a relationship these are things you need to you need to actually cover these points, all right? Yeah. This is not something you think about later, all right? You better agree on the destination, how you're going to get there. I mean, there's a lot of conversations to be had. Mm -hmm. And I think today's world allows us to have those conversations. I mean, I think culturally speaking, if I look at my conservative culture 20, 30 years ago, these conversations were... were never had right mm. so today you have that opportunity and i think today's youth is extremely agile i yeah. mean they're going to move from place to place they're not going to get tied down too early in life because the opportunities can be anywhere tomorrow they want to just activate and go right as yeah. you said correctly who would have thought 10 20 years ago that the whole world is going to come to this part of the world no one everyone's here now right so it does. It does show you that things do move. And there, there, there is a global flow, yeah. which needs to be maintained. So, awesome, Manoj. What have you got coming up this year? Is there anything on the horizon that people should be looking out for? So we're very excited about. Um, we're very excited about Beacon Media's foray into distribution. We got something that we're cooking on, and hopefully that will come to fruition soon. Um, we finished. We finished our partners, our first movie with Toric Films. We have another one with our partners in Mexico, Pyrexia. We've got uh, collaborations coming out with Parmar Entertainment. And then we've got a Deepak Chopra Slate that we're going to be going out there and developing, producing. So a lot of interesting things. Um, I'm also very excited about the possibility of Africa, mm -hmm. our partnership with... Um, Silverbacks Holdings. Ibrahim Sanya is someone I've known for a long time. 
He's actually married to a Nigerian. Ibrahim is uh, from Senegal. Mm-hmm. Um, I've known Ibrahim from the oil and gas days, and now he's migrated. Huge sports, music, and media potential for Africa. So looking at developing that and taking a few of our scripts and producing them actually in Nigeria. So very interesting activations. It's about producing global content. So between Mexico, the U.S., Nigeria, and of course, India, and of course, here. Um, speaking with a very few interesting capital partners that are going to really take Beacon on to the next level. And the aim is for us, if I begin with the end in mind, is to build an international Disney mm-hmm. without the theme parks, working with content creators, activating them based on their communities and really building and taking it from media to sports, music, and sort of getting that whole landscape set up. And it's about giving the creators the independence that they want. Mm-hmm while attaching them to projects and just working with them with that. But everything is driven by the one plus one equals 11 philosophy. So where I see is the fact that we can activate on various social media platforms that have the reach and start generating revenue in a different manner. And I think really making something, taking distribution to another level, Mm -hmm but also constant flow of content coming in and not looking at it with a traditional lens. So I would never, having not having come from the sector, no one's going to tell me, well, this is how we used to do things. We're creating the way that we yes. are doing things. And that's what I find very exciting about this, awesome. this space. And you got a book. you got a book you're working on as well? I am working on a book. Yeah. I'm working on a book. It's called The Fine Line. You actually, I believe, read the first chapter. Yes, about uh, the fine line between a leader and a manager. And um, I talk about various fine lines in life, and I've got about 46 or 47 of them. And it's going to be a constant evolution. But, I mean, leader and manager, love and hate, what's the fine line that suddenly shifts? Mm -hmm. Expectations, expect, accept. And there's so many fine lines we deal with in life. How do we deal with them? And I'm very excited about that because that's something that I've been been working on for some time and hopefully going to get that out. I'm I'm targeting to get most of my most of that most of the chapters finished by the end of next month. Okay. Um, we already finished the first sixteen or seventeen of them are done. Um, deciding how to you know activate it. We even could uh, work with our friends here at the at the Motivate uh, Media Group, or we're still thinking about it, but. It's it's content that's got to be that is very simple. It gives people just what people are dealing with in life, mm-hmm. all right. And I think um, there are fine lines we need to really under, understand. And it's about taking these fine lines and keeping them as real as you can, and just creating some content that and. The content is meant to enrich your soul. It's we're not here to be controversial. It's just giving you a viewpoint that you should look at certain certain things and understand how to keep balance so that you make sure whichever line you choose to, you know, be on, whichever side of the line that you can actually understand all the issues around those fine lines in life. Got it. And um Manoj, if someone wants to find you online or follow you, no. what's the what's the best way? Uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn, I'm a big LinkedIn follower. I'm a big LinkedIn user, X as well. Uh, you can hit 
probably these these are the two platforms that I use. Instagram is there, but it's not really Instagram. I do most of my inspirational posts that whatever inspires me, I just share out there. Mm-hmm. It's not my own content, not so much. I like um, X. I'm finding it a very interesting platform. What's your What's your handle on X? At M N Madnani. Very okay. simple. And uh, that's the same handle for Instagram and um, LinkedIn. It's just my my name. But uh, what's interesting is that I'm finding a lot of. I mean, there's some interesting conversations there. But what I'm finding is I am seeing a lot of people are looking for. I don't want to use the word guidance. They're looking for some people to just shine a light on things. Mm. All right. And like you said, so many people have come up to you and said, thank you. Yeah. I mean, you know, there are certain, we all have our dark days in life. We're all human. We don't, that's why I always say the, the sun does set every day. There's yeah. a reason you go through a certain period of darkness and you go back to sunshine and you never know yourself what, you read who you read out to. I mean, who inspires you? And I'm, I'm always the one. If I read something, and I just send some someone, hey, I just wanted to let you know you inspired me today. Thank you so much. And you know that's how we function. Awesome, Manoj. Really appreciate having you on to steal your line. Thank you for the gift of your time. Thank you for the gift. Of your time, <laughs> sir. Thank you very, very much. And I also want to thank our friends here at the at the Motivate Media group as well yes shout out to motivate media group here in dubai thank you for uh they've politely let us use the studio for this podcast recording so shout out to them we'll definitely be recording more here in the future thank you very much At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.